My name is Chris Lambert. I am the founder and CEO of Life Remodeled, and I'm here to tell you, all right, somebody likes Life Remodeled, thank you. I'm here to tell you good news today that whether you know it or not, you are made to be a difference maker, and we're gonna talk a little bit today about some of the work that God's called us to do as Life Remodeled. Chris Zarbaugh, your pastor, wanted me to come in and share a little bit about that, and then I'm gonna share also my story so that you can see that really God can use absolutely anybody. Uh, you'll, you'll know that once you, you hear my story. And then we're gonna talk about what is God saying to you, right? What, who, who is God calling you to invest in as we talk about this series of intentional acts of kindness and who is he calling you to invest in for years to come? So I wanna start with a little bit of an intro of Life Remodeled, who we are. We're a Detroit-based nonprofit. We do three things every year. Number one, we renovate a community asset. Number two, we repair owner-occupied homes. Number three, we mobilize 10,000 volunteers in six days to beautify 300 city blocks. But what that's really about is bridging people across divides to help transform each other's lives. So what I wanna show you right now is a two-minute video recap of what God did last year when we had 11,032 volunteers in six days. Check it out. As you can imagine, everything was going great the entire week. It was all smooth sailing until we got the iPhone and Android person, person, uh, people together. Then it was just crazy. But in the last four years, we've renovated four schools in Detroit, mobilized a little over $21 million. Now 74% of that is in kind. We get a lot of help from local construction companies and other businesses. We've also beautified 1,273 blocks repaired 184 homes, boarded up a few houses, and we mobilized a couple volunteers along the way. Here's some work that we did at Cody High School on the west side of Detroit. We put in a medical simulation lab where kids can learn to become certified nursing assistants, EMTs. This is also the home of the first and only firefighter academy in any Detroit high school where kids can be hired as firefighters straight out of school. 
Cody had not had a home football field in six seasons. They played every single game away, including homecoming. I don't know how you do that, but kids in Detroit are resilient. So we ended up coming alongside them to build a $1.2 million synthetic football field. We re-roofed the building at Osborne High School because when it rained outside, it literally poured on kids during class. We put in a new gym floor at Osborne. I'm excited to say the boys' basketball team made it to the Elite Eight in the state of Michigan two seasons ago. So go Osborne Knights. Here's what we do for homeowners. Homeowners can get one critical repair for free, and we give them three options. They can get a new roof, new furnace, or new windows. 100% of the labor and materials are donated by professional local contractors. Here's what our six-day project looks like that actually starts tomorrow. Over the next six days, Monday through Saturday, we'll be removing blight, overgrown brush and weeds and illegal dumping. We'll board up hundreds of vacant properties, put signage along the safest routes to and from school so kids can see where to walk, where not to walk. We'll also be planting hundreds of trees. We'll have kids involved, community leaders, corporations, churches, mosques, synagogues, people from over 300 companies and organizations. And if your company's not on with us, we'd love to get them with us in the future. 84% of our volunteers say that they gain a more positive perspective of the city and suburbs working together as a result of participating in our project. 75% of our volunteers say that they themselves become better people in the process, unless you're like that guy right there who doesn't have a heart. I, I don't know if that was a mistake by our graphic designer or pure genius, but everybody wants to know what does the neighborhood look like after the project's finished. So the Detroit Police Department measured crime one year following our project in Cody Rouge. Crime dropped in 10 out of 11 categories on the 300 blocks where we worked, including a 47% reduction in homicides. But the real mission, as I said earlier, is about people transformation. So I wanna introduce you to Ms. Pandora Ingram. Pandora is literally her name. This is the first day we ever met her in 2015 when she burst into one of our monthly community meetings, she was angry and intoxicated. And she looked around the room at these 60 or so people. She starts pointing at everybody and says, you people, you're not gonna accomplish anything in my neighborhood. All you're gonna come in here and do is talk, talk, talk about your plans, plans, plans. Nothing's gonna happen. Nothing's gonna change. You need to get out. Then Pandora began to explain to us her son Martonio was murdered when he was 18 in the streets of Detroit in the neighborhood next door just two years prior before we met her. So we learned pretty quickly this is a mother who had endured a tragedy that no human being should ever have to experience, and she hadn't learned coping mechanisms to deal with her pain. So needless to say, Pandora was the number one antagonist against Life Remodeled, against the project, but over the next seven months, we became very close friends. Pandora became the number one advocate. She spent multiple Saturdays leading up to the project. She's over here in the, in the video. Right, all right. Yeah, she didn't have that much of a transformation where she became a totally different person. But she spent multiple Saturdays leading up to the project volunteering to recruit uh, community residents. She was elected that summer to the Osborne Neighborhood Alliance Board of Directors, where she still continues to serve to this day. And in December of last year, she got a new job working for Goodwill Industries in her own office. But one of the things that we say is there's a Pandora in all of us. Wherever we live or don't live, whatever degrees we have or don't have, all of us are lifelong works in progress. That's why we call it Life Remodeled, Not Detroit Remodeled. I want to introduce you to David, a former Jewish agnostic 
who lives in Indianapolis. David is a lawyer. David decided to go to church in Indianapolis where he lives for three years because of his girlfriend. He read the entire New Testament, met with his pastor multiple times in order to see if this Jesus guy is real. For whatever reason, David wasn't buying it. Then I came and spoke at his church in 2015, told him about Life Remodeled. He came up to me afterward. He said, dude, I got to join you and volunteer in Detroit. So David did what anybody would do. He got a personal trainer to train him to get ready to come to Detroit and volunteer for six days. On day four of the project, David said he saw God at work through people. He put his faith in Jesus that day, got baptized that month. He's a fully committed follower of Jesus. And in spring of this past year, he got married to that woman that that ended up taking him to church. So as you go out and do intentional acts of kindness, I hope you get the joy of being able to see how the story all works together. But the truth is you may never really know the impact that you've had until you're standing in front of Jesus face to face, which is going to be a pretty awesome day. This is the neighborhood we're working in right now. As you can see, you've got the Lodge in Davison. This is Central High School. This used to be an elementary middle school building that no longer exists, and the school district gave us this building built in 1927. It's gorgeous. We've repurposed it. It's now called the Durfee Innovation Society. It was renamed by the youth, and basically it's a hub of opportunity for children, youth, and adults. So what we are doing is moving in tenants, nonprofits and for-profits. Imagine an early childhood daycare that's educational and free starting in the fall of next year. Imagine an old locker room turned into a construction trades incubator and one of Kensington's own members, Scott Claude, who owns New Electric, he hires young people for 12 weeks, pays them 12 bucks an hour. Then if they wanna continue on with the company, he hires them full-time and they change all of our lights in our building to LED. We got an assembly line robot where kids are learning to program with an old swimming pool that we're planning on turning in to another space for another tenant. The gym, we put down a new floor, glass backboards, LED lights. Here's what the auditorium looks like. Eventually, on the weekends, it'll become a marketplace where residents can buy and sell the things they make and grow. We've just moved in a pizzeria franchise called Tormina's. They're hiring high school kids and teaching them how to franchise. And here's a number of other tenants who have moved into our building and we're constantly looking for more. But I wanna share with you a little bit about the theological framework for what we do. As you can tell, I'm someone who's pretty passionate about Jesus and I share my faith a lot. I used to be a church planter, but instead I started an organization that's very intentionally not a religious organization. We're an organization that's for everybody, no matter where they're coming from on religion, on politics, on moral values. But nevertheless, I based the organization when I founded it on four principles of the life of Jesus. The first one is, I believe, Jesus was on the go. All right, Jesus didn't just come to earth and at 30 years of age say, okay, I'm gonna do public ministry now. If anybody wants to meet with God, I'll be right here for the next three years. You can come to me, you know where I'm at. No, Jesus was out and about on the go. And that's what this series is all about, intentional acts of kindness. It's about how can we be the church. Church isn't an event, church is a way 
of life. And many of you already have stories of how you're out there going, and that's awesome. And so what we do is we go from neighborhood to neighborhood. We used to only spend one year in a neighborhood. Now we've decided to stay four years in the neighborhood we're currently investing in, the central neighborhood. The second thing I see in Jesus's life is, is it comes from the first question of really where did he go? And I think Jesus traveled to individuals and neighborhoods with the most significant needs. You know, you may not agree with me, and if, if you can prove me wrong in the Gospels, I want you to shoot me an email. But when I look at Jesus' life, it appears to me that he spent the majority of his time with the people who were suffering the most, who were on the fringes of society, who had the least amount of opportunity. And that's just kind of how he rolled. That's where he went. And so I'm wondering... Who has God put on your heart to influence, to do acts of kindness with or to or for? And who is he putting on your heart today? What we do is we go to some of the toughest neighborhoods in Detroit, the ones that aren't getting the investment that other places are in the city. The third part of Jesus' life that we base the organization on, Jesus led with actions and followed with words. Now, I don't know where each of you come from, but maybe you grew up in a faith tradition that only emphasized one or the other. Maybe you grew up in a church where they only talked about evangelizing with your words and they gave you a formula of how to lead people into heaven and where do you go if you were to die tonight and you thought your job on earth was to tell as many people as you possibly could. Or maybe you grew up in a faith tradition or a church that said, no, we don't need to talk about Jesus at all. All we need to do is do good things to other people. We don't wanna try to convert anybody. But if you look at the life of Jesus he lived both of those radically, and usually he led with actions. He demonstrated the gospel before he talked about the gospel. He cast out demons, raised the dead, touched the untouchables, brought racial reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles, and constantly demonstrated the kingdom. Then he explained verbally what the kingdom is really about. And so I don't know if you'll have an opportunity to do that when you do your act of kindness, but if you do, that's fantastic. Don't force it. Just let the Holy Spirit lead. And so what we do is lead with very dramatic action in the, in the six-day project. This is about four hours worth of work where this house was there. You can't see it, and now you can. The fourth thing about Jesus, sometimes Christians don't agree with me on this, and I want to see what you think. Jesus engaged non-believers to advance the kingdom of God with him. Amen. This guy agrees. Maybe you should come up here and finish this sermon, all right? I like that. So I think we can all agree that Judas was not a believer. But yet Jesus told him to go heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, and even communicate the kingdom of God. But you know, we all agree on Judas, I think, right? But I think we can agree that all 12 of the disciples were not believers that Jesus was the Messiah. You have that one moment where Peter, who just you know, wants to be the first one to try to get the right answer, says, oh yeah, you're the Messiah. But of course, Peter's the very first one to deny Jesus and say, I don't believe any of it. I was led astray. None of them really believed he was the Messiah, yet Jesus called them and 70 other disciples to go out and do his miraculous work even before they believed in him. So as you're doing acts of kindness and handing out that card saying, hey, could you, inviting people to pay it forward, 
you may be serving someone very far away from God and they may serve someone else and not even realize that they're a part of God's story. And that's a lot of times how God works. And so what we do is we bring together people from all different walks of life so they can experience the miraculous even before they believe. I wanna share with you a little bit about my story so that again, you can understand that anybody can be a difference maker as we sang earlier. I grew up in a very small town in northern Indiana. Now, when I say small town, I mean we didn't have a four-way stoplight until I was in middle school. And it was a big deal when we got this stoplight, and so some guy decided to build a gas station right next to it and call it Stop and Go. Transformed our town. When it came to spirituality and religion, my parents would take my sister and I to church service about half the year because they felt like it was the right thing to do in the, the town that we grew up in, that you're supposed to do that stuff. But for whatever reason, they never talked about God in the home. Somehow, someway, as far back as I can possibly remember, I was this really spiritual kid. I loved the person of Jesus in particular. And as time went by, in eighth grade, I got a nickname. I used to be called Lambert. My last name is Lambert. Lambert the Jesus Freak, all right? And I was proud of that title. I was the kid who was gonna try to convert everybody in school to Christianity. I thought I was doing God a big, big favor. And that kept increasing until shortly before I turned 16, I hit a growth spurt. And as you can see, that growth spurt didn't last very long. But I became kind of a big fish in my small little high school of 1,100 kids where three different towns went to the same school. And I began to realize, I began to think to myself, wow, my buddies who are not following God seem to be having a lot more fun in life than me and my dorky little youth group. So I'm gonna become a little bit more like them without jumping off the deep end. Now here's where the story gets ridiculous as if it wasn't ridiculous enough already. At 16, I decided I was gonna do something crazy. I was gonna start cussing for the first time in my life. Now, I'm a very intentional person, so I remember driving down a country road in my Jeep Wagoneer. I put down my rearview mirror, I looked up at it, and I said, okay, I'm not gonna tell you what I said, but you can fill in the blank. Now, I go, I'm also an all or nothing kind of person, so I go to school the next day, every third word's the F word, and son of a, and you name it, and everybody drops their jaw. They said, what the heck happened to Lambert the Jesus freak? And they were laughing, I was laughing. That was a whole lot of fun for about 10 minutes, and then that wore off. The next thing I decided I would start doing would be dating girls and all that comes along with that for a teenage guy who doesn't have his eyes on God. Then all of a sudden that wasn't enough, so I started drinking and drank more and more, and then that wasn't enough, so I used various drugs. Graduated from high school in 1999, moved to Indiana University to study business and get ready to go to law school and become a real estate developer. And while I was in the, at Indiana University, I joined the largest fraternity on campus so I could have more of everything I was looking for. For six years of my life, from the ages of 16 to 22, I did whatever I wanted to do, whenever I wanted to do it, and life was going pretty good, or so I thought. Except there would be nights when I would lie in bed and think to myself, wow, I gotta be missing out on something here because this just is not doing everything for me that I thought that it would. So my solution to my perceived problem was just to do more and more of all the above. My junior year, at 22 years of age, I decided to move to Australia and study overseas for six months. And while I was there, I had what I would call a radical encounter with God. And basically, a couple things happened. First, I began to travel around to various countries in Southeast Asia and the Pacific Rim and, of course, Australia. And I began to realize the world is a 
very big place, and I'm just this little itty-bitty speck of dust on the planet. This thing does not revolve around me, which was important for my identity and sense of self at the age of 22. The other thing that happened was I met a couple guys over there who became my best friends. They happened to be Jesus followers, Christians. And they were pretty cool guys. They could go out to a bar, have a drink or two, and then go home. Meanwhile, I'd stay out doing everything that they weren't doing. Eventually, they said to me, hey, Chris, why don't you come with us to our church service? And I was like, ah, you know, man, I did that when I was a kid. I used to know God. I even tried to reconnect with him a couple years ago. Went to church service. Did not work for me. But because you're going, I'll go. So I go to this little Anglican church. I don't know if you know anything about the Anglican church. I didn't know anything about it. But it's like Church of England, basically like an Episcopalian church. And the pastor was wearing skateboarding shoes and skateboarding shorts, which is very uncommon in the Anglican church. And I'm like, this, this is kind of weird. But it was good enough to where I went back a second time. And then I ended up going a third time. The third time that I was there, this pastor preached a sermon that basically outlined my life to a T. As he was wrapping up, I felt like God was speaking to me for the first time in my life. And what I felt like he was saying to me is this. Now, this is going to sound weird to some of you. Others of you are going to know exactly where this comes from. I felt like he was telling me I was like lukewarm water. I wasn't hot and I wasn't cold. And he was about to spit me out of his mouth. Now, some of you know that comes from the very last book in the Bible in Revelation. That's a specific cultural analogy. That wasn't something the pastor said that night. But I know I read that when I was a kid. That's not what directly changed my life. But what it did for me is it spiritually sobered me for a few seconds. Now, I wasn't on any drugs or alcohol this particular night. It was an evening church service. But I would say if there was ever such a time that I was spiritually sober, it was that brief moment. Over the next few seconds, I began to see visually that for the past six years of my life, from the ages of 16 to 22, that God basically let me do everything I wanted to do. I pretty much got everything that I wanted. He didn't mess up my plans. He didn't send me to jail for drugs or for drunk driving. I should have been there many times. And all of a sudden, it hit me. At no point during those last six years had I ever been as happy or as satisfied as I was when I was Lambert the Jesus Freak. And this pastor did an altar call, which also doesn't happen in Anglican churches, and he invited people to come up front. And I remember exactly what I did. I got down on my knees. I looked up. I said, God, from this moment forward, I will stop doing whatever you want me to stop doing, and I will start doing whatever you want me to start doing. I never ended up doing another illegal drug from that time on. I stopped getting drunk. I'll go out and have a glass of bourbon or beer. But I don't get drunk. But I think too often as Christians, we focus too much on, all right, if you give your life to Jesus, what are all the things you're gonna stop doing in your life? And believe me, there's a lot of things that needed to stop happening in my life, and I still have struggles today like all of us. But what inspired me even more than what I stopped doing is what started happening in my life. And what started happening for the first time in my life, I began to care deeply about other people other than my little group of friends. I began to care a lot about what was going on in people's lives. Now, before I left Indiana University, there was not a single Christian in my entire fraternity of 180 guys. Before I got back, and this had nothing to do with me, my three best friends had all had radical encounters with God. They were now following Jesus, plus my drug dealer, who was in jail for selling meth. He got out. We got this Bible study thing going. We were leading guys to Jesus left and right. 
All of a sudden, my senior year, I felt like God was saying, don't go to law school. And I felt like he was calling me to become a pastor. So I went down that route, eventually moved to Africa, came here, started a church, and then started Life Remodeled. That's my story. And that's just a little bit of it, right? That, that's a little. But I'm more curious and more excited about your story. Your story up until this point and the next chapters of your life that are still being written. What does your life look like right now? What is your story as it relates to intentional acts of kindness, letting the Spirit of God work in you and through you to bless others? And as you think about your story, know that it's really shaping our story. Because as you influence someone and they influence someone else, it becomes exponential and the church begins to be seen for who Jesus made us to be. So what is going your intentional acts of kindness going to look like next? Maybe you want to volunteer in Detroit. We've got an opportunity for everyone. You have to be at least 14 years of age. Join us anytime this coming week, Monday through Saturday. Check out our website. But what I want to do right now is Close us out in prayer. I'm gonna invite the ushers to go ahead and come forth and get ready for the offering. And then we're gonna watch a really awesome video about what God did through Kensington Church to bless a school. So you're gonna get another example of what that kindness looks like. But I would invite you to join with me in prayer now. Dad, I thank you for every person who's here today and all over the world gathering in your name. Thank you for making a way for us to be like Jesus and do the things Jesus did through your life, death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus. We praise you. If anyone's here today and doesn't really know what it means to have a relationship with you, my prayer is that they would know as soon as possible, even now, if they're willing to put their faith in you. And as they go out and do intentional acts of kindness, may they be led by your Holy Spirit and see the fruit of their labor. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.